Well, as we get started this morning, I'd like to begin by opening in prayer for us. We're going to be spending some time in the Word. Got a little bit of administrative things up front, but then I would like to have us go into the Word, and we're going to be be digging through the Word together. So hopefully you brought your Bible. If not, hopefully you've got an app on your on your phone that'll help you. Uh, we'll also be projecting, but I really encourage you start bringing your Bible with you. You really want to have a paper copy of the Bible because you want your notes in there. And if you have a version of the Bible that allows you to take notes on your phone, do that because you want to be able to see the history of your life in the Word with the Lord over time. And you'll see the traces of that as you, you begin to make those recordings. So let's start with some prayer. So Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your presence here among us today. We thank you, Lord, for how, you, how you're with us in worship as we were lifting you up, Lord. We just thank you, Father, for, for our worship leaders, Lord, as they just brought us into the throne room here this morning, Lord. Lord, let everything that we do honor you. Let us be known as a people that love as you love. Lord, that we would have full faith in you and we would recognize who we are as sons and daughters of God. We thank you, Lord. We ask for your blessing over this time together. We ask that as we open your word this morning, that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us things that we've never seen before. Let it be food for us today, Lord. Let it be bread for us. That it would nurture us and nourish us and become part of us. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right, a little bit of housekeeping up front. COVID, Delta, numbers are rising. You look at the data, it's there. You're all adults. I trust that you're, you're out there looking at the information and deciding what you're going to do. I'm not mandating masks here, okay? Not at this time. And I'll say the one place that we are right now is downstairs with our kids. I want you to understand why. Many of you do know, some of you don't know, but we have Riversong Christian Learning Center, which is a a daycare that we have running throughout the week, which has reportability towards the state. The state is requiring the kids to to wear masks uh, in educational spaces and um, in daycares. So Riversong is required to do that. To keep our accreditation, we're going to do that and also for the protection of our kids and our workers that are there all the time and their families. Um, We made a decision a while ago as a leadership team that whatever is happening in Riversong, we're going to mimic in our children's ministry as well because they are the ones that keep that space. And so we want to honor what they have to do down there. So I ask you as parents, please cooperate with us. If that's not something that you're wanting to do, that's okay. But that's what we're requiring to have happen downstairs. If you'd like your kids to be downstairs with us and be ministered to, we ask that you please uh, bring masks. If, you're, if you forget them, we do have extra masks, so we'll be uh, using that. Now, children two and under are, are not required to do that, but we also are uh, requiring our kids two and under not to go downstairs right now because we do have a requirement for uh, them to be able to be potty trained and three and up. So uh, that's where, where we're at with that, and I appreciate you guys uh, participating with that in that with us. For us here in and around together, You guys have to make a decision about whether you're going to wear masks or not. I encourage you as your pastor to highly consider wearing a mask for yourself or for others. Um, It is, you know, we are seeing the numbers increase, okay? But what what I'm doing in saying that is this. Definitely consider it. Considering the impact for yourself, consider the impact for others, make your decision. But regardless of the decision that you make, what we're not going to do start an adversarial thing between us, between masked and unmasked people, okay? Like we have said already before, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. But we're not going to be judging one another because of what we choose to do in that situation. Likewise, you can offer, feel free to offer people hugs, handshakes, fist bumps, elbow bumps, all those things. Also, feel empowered to say no kindly, Okay? You can receive. You can also say, it's all right, I'm not comfortable with that. I love you. Okay? And that is okay. Respect one another. All right? Final word. If you have any symptoms that could potentially 
be COVID-related. Get yourself tested before you walk through these doors. I'll say that again. If you have any symptoms that may be COVID-related, get yourself tested before coming through these doors. I'm the shepherd over this house, and I'm saying to you, it's not kind or loving for you to come in here and put others at risk knowingly. None of us holds a responsibility so high that we can't say, I can't make it this week. I'm waiting on test results. Can somebody else please fill in for me? We got it, folks. We love one another. We care for one another. We are a family here. So let's treat one another as a family. All right? Simple as that. And that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Okay? All right. The other thing, well, one one final thing. One final thing. I say that to you because it's important for us to be prudent as the people of God. We should be wise. But don't allow fear to masquerade itself as wisdom. Okay? We're not to be fearing. We should be looking at these things, making prudent, wise decisions. But don't allow yourself to be driven by fear in this situation. Do you hear what I'm saying? So we're not going to lead as a people in a fearful state. Be prudent. Be wise. Make your decision. Consider the impact for others. You might not want to wear a mask, but you might realize that could help other people feel more comfortable. Go ahead and do that. All right? But we're not going to lead with fear. Today we're actually going to be talking about fear a little bit. We talked about the fear of the Lord before. We're going to be getting into a discussion about fear today, but not, not directly. It's going to be a bit indirectly. And this is going to be part of a two-part series this week and next week. And I'm excited about what the Lord is going to be unfolding for us as a people in the midst of this. So, who was here with us last week? That was a good week to be here. Clap your hands. It's okay. That was a good week to be here. The Lord was so good to us. And I don't know about you, but throughout this whole week, I keep reliving that moment where we stood and shouted to the surrounding region, give me my mountain. Do you remember that? Give me my mountain. And Bonnie and Mahesh did such a wonderful job discussing who we are in the Lord and that God has promises for us and that we are supposed to stand in those things and declare to the heavenlies who we are and that God has done that. And, and that he is in the process of taking us from the latter house or from, from the former house into the latter house. And God has great things for us as a people. So I really appreciate them laying a, a, just a solid groundwork for us. And I don't know if you felt it, but there was, it's been reported to me by a couple of folks, there's felt like a shift in the atmosphere here through that. Uh, Standing up, declaring, give me my mountain, that is a prophetic declaration. We are doing something that's not just physical, it's not just a fun, rah, rah, let's do this, kumbaya. This is us, really, as a people, declaring, give me my mountain. So let's get some context for give me my mountain. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. Let's go into Joshua chapter 14. That's where we're going to start today. Okay, now we're going to jump, we're going to start here, we're going to jump back in history, and then we're going to leap forward in history from this as well. But we're going to start in Joshua chapter 14, because in Joshua chapter 14 is the moment that was referenced in us saying, give me my mountain. You'll find it here in the scripture, and they might, depending on your translation, it might be a little bit different, but, but this is where that comes from, and This is during the conquest of Canaan. It's actually at the end of the conquest of Canaan. And I think we, as we tell the story, oftentimes we we consider that they came into the promised land and Joshua's like, I'm ready to go, you know, give me my mountain. But that's not actually the case. They've been in there for quite some time. He was, you'll see here, he says, I was 40 years old, but now I'm, I'm 85 years old. You do the math. Okay. So we're going to read this, uh, Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse 6. And if you're new to us, just know we have been in a time and in a season where we are reading through big portions of the Scripture. So uh, just open yourself to the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to to show you things that you might not have seen before. We want to be a people who are familiar with the Word, who are hearing the Word, that are living in the Word, that are consuming the Word. So let's hear the Word today. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, 
You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God of, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, sent me, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to, to explore the land. And I brought back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. He's recognizing right there as an experienced person. He's seen what has come beyond that. He recognizes that their hearts were melted in fear. Okay? That he had a different report. But he is, he is drawing a line right now around this point of fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Interestingly enough, Caleb's name, we've been talking about this over the past series of months. Names are very important in the Bible. Names are still very important today. Parents, when you're naming your children, really look to see what that name is and what it means if it has a specific meaning, because you will be declaring that over them for their entire life, not only you, but others as well. Caleb's name actually means wholehearted. And he is demonstrating that. It's a testimony, and it's a prophetic declaration of, over who he is, and he has lived that. He lived wholeheartedly before the Lord. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. And this is where he says it. Now give me my mountain. Here it says hill country. Give me my mountain. That the Lord promised me that day. Now, I love it how he calls it my mountain. This is a man who lives wholeheartedly. He was promised an inheritance. He has already owned it in his heart. And he has been waiting for the day that it would materialize. And him saying, by the way, I'm just as vigorous today as I was at 40, isn't just him blowing smoke. How many of you know God preserved that man? did a miraculous work in his life. Thank you, son. And he meant it. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. We see that there's already been a conquest in, in, Cale, in Canaan right now for five years at this point. So not only did he cross over and go, he didn't go straight to the hill country, he's been about the work of clearing out the land with everybody else. And now he said, all right, I'm ready. I've been waiting. Long past due. Give me my mountain. And here he comes after what God has promised him as an inheritance. Now, what's interesting here is that I'm going to go into Joshua. We're going to backstep a little bit into Joshua 11, starting in 21. Because this, is, this has come uh, scripturally at a point where it's been recorded what's taken place, and now they kind of expand on what happened when uh, land was allotted. But if you go back into 11, uh, 21 through 22, you find this. And this is recording the very end of, of what took place from the conquest. At that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country, from Hebron, Debir, and Anab, from all the hill country of Judah, and from the hill country of Israel. Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in the Israelite territory, only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. 
did any survive? Now, you keep hearing this reference to the Anakites and Anak and Arba. And who are they? What we find in Scripture is that Arba is the father of Anak. He's the, he's the greatest of them all. And so Kiriath Arba means city of, of Arba. And, and we'll see that this region actually takes on the name Kiriath Arba um, in a time between when God's people have been there in Canaan. And the Anakites were giants. They were giants. They were, they were imposing figures. A descendant of Anak that you may be familiar with is Goliath. And you see here in this, in this passage here, the Anakites were driven out of this hill country, and the only place that they are left is in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Well, years later, generations later, that's where Goliath comes out of. But his, his family was driven out by Caleb and others from Hebron, where they had taken seat. And it's Caleb that had gone in there to drive them out. Now, we'll get into some of that here in a little bit. But it's not that Caleb stood there before Joshua and said, give me that hill country over there, I think it looks nice. Or give me those hills over there because I can see them and that's the ones I want. Could it be that there's something important about the hill country that he was given? Maybe. It is. It's actually very important. And, and if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that you see Hebron come up quite a lot in the early parts of the Old Testament. So we're going to be going through that here today. It is very significant that, that Caleb... Uh, went after Hebron. He knew what he wanted. It wasn't just, give me some hill country. He knew the land that he wanted. It was very specific, and he got it. But Hebron is a very important place. So let's go back into Genesis chapter 13. I'm taking time to thumb through here. Genesis chapter 13 talks about the time where Abraham and Lot split up. I won't go into the whole Abraham Lot history. That's, another, that's probably another story time for us all in and of itself. However, we're going to do Genesis chapter 13, 14 through 18. Because this is right after Abraham has told Lot, Hey, we cut this space. You go east, I'll go west. If you go west, I'll go east. But pick where you want. And he chose to go down into the plains, down near Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, um, at that time here, we see this. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had, had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at... Hebron, where he pitched his tents, there he built an altar to the Lord. Now this became a dwelling place for this nomadic man for quite some time, actually. And Hebron, actually the name itself, uh, has a nod towards the friendship of God between Abram and God. And it's a, kind of like the, a place of uniting is what, it, what it's talking about there. And even today, uh, some of the names around that region and in that city um, hint at that idea of friendship between God and man. And so Hebron becomes this place for him to live. And this is where he's living when he goes to rescue Lot from Sodom, uh, from, uh, from those that were, uh, were attacking them and had taken them captive. Uh, this is also where he's living at the time when he tithes to Melchizedek. It's also where he's living, where in the time when, uh, in chapter 15, when God makes the covenant with Abram. So this is a very significant place for him. 
So let's read the very end of, of chapter 15. Penny, I'm sorry I didn't give you this, this scriptural passage, but we're going to start in verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So remember, he had told him after he was there with Lot, look around, this is all yours. But this is when he has, he has kind of pseudo-settled. Remember, he's a nomad, right? But this is, this is close to a settlement for him, and it, it does bear special importance for him as he goes and moves on through his life. But this is where God reaffirms that with him and actually covenants with him from that place. Now, this is Hebron. This is hill country. These are mountains. He's in a place where he can see with his eyes the land around him. Think about that. Don't let this become a two-dimensional idea. Don't let this just become stories. These are human beings. They had body odor. They burped. They didn't like each other. They had frustrations. Somebody didn't clean up after themselves. I mean, all that stuff. This is real life, real people, real hurts, real tears, real things. They looked up at the same stars you and I look up at. And the same God who loved them loves you. Okay? There's things to learn from this. We have to dig deep into the scriptures to find the story that's underneath the top surface of these words. And it's interconnected. We've already been in Joshua. We're back here in Genesis right now. This is all stretched together. Okay? So, we're talking about a location. He's there. God covenants with him. And that's, a, that's an important covenant. It's the covenant that we look back to and remember, the Abrahamic covenant. This is, this is it. It happens here at this, at this place in Hebron. And we see that he, he built an altar there. This is a land of covenant. It's a land of promise. It is actually a land of inheritance. This plot of land here. All right. We'll go to Genesis 23 now. Genesis 23, we're going to fast forward through years, okay? There's the death of Sarah. Sarah died, and she and Abraham had been walking a long time at this point. Where is it that he buried her? Let's just read, let's just read the, um, the exchange here. Now, we know that, this, that he's been, he'd been staying in, in Hebron, Near the trees of Mamre, right? It's an important place. Mamre is actually a person. Mamre is a, an individual from that place, a sheik that he had become uh, very close friends with. They were allies, they're companions. Uh, they went together to go rescue Lot. This is, you know, these are neighbors. They've, they've been together. And clearly, Abraham is actually living in his land. Okay. So Sarah dies. Let's just read this chapter. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. In the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Do you hear the friendship there? Do you hear the reverence for this man who has walked righteously among them and has honored them in everything that he has done? This is, they see him as one of their own. You are a prince among us. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him. And is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. 
Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bear your dead. There's a negotiation going along here. But what takes place here is significant as an outcome. They're willing to give this to him, right? It, it's nothing for It's an honor of who he is for them to give this to him. But he won't settle for that. And it's important that he won't settle for that, okay? Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. <laughs> this is a great back and forth, right? The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. Now, I wanted you to understand that because there is a... Oftentimes, we come into situations where we might be given something, but it's actually meant to cost us something. David, much later, um, when he went to go buy the threshing floor, the man was willing to give it to him. And he said, no, I have to pay full price of this. Basically, I can't give the Lord an offering that I haven't paid for. It's got to cost me something. And this is the same thing that Abraham is doing here. No, this has to cost me something. And so he insists on it. So let's, let's look at this final paragraph here. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites, who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. This is a man who doesn't own any land. He's been given a promise by the Lord that he's to own all of it. It's supposed to be an inheritance for him, for his children's children. They're going to be so numerous that if you could count the dust, then maybe you could count them, right? But he doesn't own any land up to this point. He's a foreigner walking around in his inheritance. But here at this moment, he now owns a piece of that land. He physically owns it. He has the deed for that property. That legal transaction that's taken place there, it's a seed for what God is going to do. It's a token of what is going to happen in the future. And the first person that's buried there is his wife, who had journeyed through that land with him, who had been party to the promise that that had come. All right. We're going to move forward here. Genesis 25. Starting in verse 7. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. Okay. Moving forward now, Genesis 35, 16 through 29. All right. Actually, we won't do all 16 through 29. Let's just start in 27. What this is, is when Rachel and Isaac both pass away. Okay? Rachel gives birth to Benjamin. She's, she's buried there uh, in, in the Bethel area. Uh, and then it says, Jacob buries her, and then Israel moves on. And then it gives all of the names of his sons, and then we come to 27. Jacob came home to his father Isaac at Mamre near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. 
Isaac lived 180 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Are you seeing a pattern? Yes. And Rebekah is also buried there. Okay, moving forward again. We're going to go to uh, 49, Genesis 49. You want to be familiar with where these are in your Bible. Verses 29 through 33. This is the death of Jacob now. Now, Jacob is the patriarch. They're not in that land anymore. Anybody remember where they are? They're in Egypt. Right? Okay. So he's just blessed all of his sons and the tribes that are going to come from them. It's a very prophetic blessing that he gives them. Then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. And then, when we go on in Genesis 50, starting in, we'll do 12 through 14, we find this. This is the the fulfillment of this. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had brought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. What do we see here? You have Abraham, you have Isaac, and you have Jacob. These are the three generations from the promise of Abraham and the covenant that God made with him to the fulfillment of the twelve tribes of Israel. This is those three generations there buried at this location in Hebron. They actually own this property. Do you think this may be significant place for the people of Israel? Just maybe. So, we'll fast forward again to Caleb. Why do we think that Caleb wanted this high ground. That's where the ancestors were. This is important ground. Now remember, when they go and spy out the land, he's walked through this land. He's been there. He's seen these places. He's now know, he now knows with his own eyes what it looks like for this place to be there. And he's seen the giants that are in the land. And he's not one who is dismayed by what he saw there. Because he knows that that's their land and he's coming to get it back. And God has given them the promise that that's supposed to be their place. He wants that. He's all in. He is, his name is whole heart. He's ready to go. He's not afraid of the giants that are in that land. And as we know and as we've read, he goes, he conquers the land, kicks them out. And he goes and inhabits that land, and it's been established for him. And it's right smack dab in the middle of Judah. Now, interestingly, if you look at, at Caleb's name, it talks about how he's the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Did you hear Kenizzite at any other time today as we were reading? When God was making the covenant with Abraham, he talked about the land of the Kenizzites. Caleb is from a family that actually comes out of Edom. What does that mean? He's a descendant of Esau. Now, within within the the Hebrew culture, many rabbis have known about this. They talk about this. He's considered to be a Gentile. Now, he's a Gentile who's been brought in. They're God-fears, and they actually became part of Judah. Okay, so he's, he's there as this in-between 
He's, he has lineage there. He's part of what's been covenanted there, but he's a Gentile. I think it's amazing that God would choose him to stand with, with Joshua and say, no, this is the land of promise for us. That's pretty cool. And he's the one who gets that land. But it is, it is Judah land. And Hebron itself, the city there in Hebron, becomes a, a Levite city. But the land there is his. So, powerful stuff. Okay, so we've started there. Give me my mountain. We've talked about what that mountain is, the importance of that, historically, and it keeps moving forward. Let's go into 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is right after Saul has died. Okay? David has been waiting to become king. Saul's dead, and here's what it says. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. The Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron, that's right. The Lord answered. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his own family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. Now, he's not been anointed king over all of Israel yet. This is when he's been anointed over the tribe of Judah. Where did God call him first to establish his throne? In Hebron. Do you see it? Caleb's not just asking for any old place. This is a place where the covenant with Abraham was established. It was fulfilled. There was, there was land that was taken there. Caleb, in returning, says, I want that land. I want it and give it to me. I've been waiting for 45 years for this place. His family is established there. His lineage is established there. And when, when David, a man after God's own heart, actually comes into power and is established, having a throne established, God leads him to that location to be established first. It is a fulfillment of a covenant that's been taking place and going out through time. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 5, 1 through 5. Let's go there. Because this is some time later then. Okay. Now we have all this stuff that happens with Ishbosheth and all that. We could go into that. And we'll probably do that next week. Okay. I'm starting to tie into what next week's sermon is, but this is this is the jump-off point between where we are right now, talking about Hebron. We're talking about David and what's going to be taking place immediately after him actually coming into power in Jerusalem. Right now, let's look at this. <clears throat> okay. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said. We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were, the, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. He was there in Hebron for seven and a half years. And we know seven's like a number of completion, right? It's important. So here he is. God establishes his throne first in Hebron. And then, as we'll see next week, he goes and takes Jerusalem. And Jerusalem becomes the city of David. And that becomes a whole new thing in the establishment of the kingdom of God and the lineage of David and the continuance of his line, which ultimately results in Christ, right? So this is an important transition transaction that takes place here. Let's do a little bit of tying some things together here, okay? Before we seal this off here today. 
We know that when God makes a promise to us, the enemy hates it. It should be no surprise to you, if you've been walking with the Lord for any period of time, that the enemy loves to take places where God has made a covenant with people or he has done a great thing, and he always wants to try to go over there and take that ground back. Are you familiar with that? If you're not familiar with that, recognize it. He contends over spaces here in the earth. And this is a great, a great example of that. The enemy hates that the covenant was made with Abraham there in Hebron. He hates it. So when Abraham and his family moved on, what did he move in there? Giants. Scary big warriors. Right? Was it effective? 40 years in the desert says it was very effective. Very effective. We're going to go into Numbers chapter 13 here. This is the report on the exploration by the spies. Let's read what took place there. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people. There he is. There's Caleb. Silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they... And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from a Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We're so small compared to these people. That's how, that's how they see us, by the way. These men come back with a fearful report. They are driven by fear. They see the good thing and they say, we just, it's too much. It's just too much. The promise is amazing. I mean, here's the fruit of that. I mean, we carried it back for you. But there's no way that we can take these people. Reading on. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better if we'd go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They were ready to overthrow Moses at this point in time, again, ready to go back to slavery. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And the assembly was ready to stone them. Bill Johnson just preached out of this. I think it was this last week. And there's a translation there that says, they will be our bread. Go back, listen to his message. It is fantastic. Okay? But they will be our bread. This, these are the men that are seeing the obstacle, but they're seeing the opportunity through it and by it. 
The enemy wants to dismay you from the promises of God, and he will throw giants in your pathway to keep you from getting there. Can I get an amen for that? But he's called us to face giants. God wasn't dismayed that giants were in the land. Listen to Pastor Bill's message. The giants are in the land for a purpose. And they're actually there for you to be strengthened. They needed that obstacle to grow into who God had called them to be. And Caleb saw that opportunity and was ready to take it. It only took him 45 years to get there. Now, this man takes that land, inhabits it. He drives out all the giants. His family inherits that land, and they live in it for generation and generation, generation, generation. All of a sudden, here comes a shepherd boy from the tribe of Judah. And when he rises to be king, God tells him, go live in Hebron, where the giants were. By the way, how was it? that he demonstrated first to Israel that he was chosen by the Lord to lead them. He killed a giant. A son of Anak. Come on. Come on. This is good stuff. Right? He killed him. And I preached a message on this a couple years ago. Remember, he picks up the five smooth stones. Right? But he only uses one of them. And so if you read through that, what was that all about? What was that about? There's nothing definitive that's given as a purpose for those five smooth stones. A lot of ideas about that. But one thing worth considering is this. One shot, one kill. Right? I got four more where that came from. If you look further into scripture, you'll find there are four other descendants of Anak that are ultimately killed by David's mighty men. Is it possible they were in the crowd that day? I don't know. It's a possibility. But he was ready. I don't think he thought he was going to miss. And if you look at the tiny amount of space that he had to hit between the top of the helmet and to hit him in the forehead to, to, to knock him out, it's, it's tiny. And I, if you saw the first message... You'll remember this. This is how tall Goliath was. Stand up. Go ahead, stand up. Imagine this man, huge. I'm not, I don't have his girth. And he was a warrior with a spear that could swing out and hit Barb. I'm not kidding you. This is, this is the, the dimensions of this man. All right? Why were the people afraid? It was this type of thing they were dealing with. Okay? So when David took him out, that's a big deal. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. Hebron, to this day, continues to be a contentious space. If you follow all of what's going on in Israel, you'll know that the West Bank is a hotly contended area, and this is right in the midst of it. The location for the cave is now a major shrine. Uh, uh, the, uh, it's, it's an Islamic shrine now there and uh, because it's important both to them and to us. And there's been a lot of back and forth over this. Uh, the Six Days War had resulted in some outcomes over how that, that area was handled. So it continues to this day to be a place where the enemy doesn't want the people of God to inhabit that place. Okay, We're still living in that. I think we'll probably live in that through the end of it all. Okay, But recognize how important that place is. What does this mean for us? A lot of things. You now have a whole lot more context behind standing up and saying, Give me my mountain. Hello, Moto. We stand and have to recognize that we are recipients of an inheritance that's coming to us from people who have made covenants with the Lord down through time. God cares about 
real territory, real land. He cares about what people did in real locations. There is, there is a spiritual realm. As much as it, does, it wants to overtake places where God's covenanted with people, God cares about his people confirming and affirming and reestablishing that place and, and taking back that ground. So your desire for whatever it is that God's placed in your heart, for whatever that mountain is, you can be sure there's other layers to it that have been going down through history that you are resonating with in that moment. Also, don't be dismayed when you see the promise God has given you and there's a a giant standing between you and that promise. Give me my mountain. If God has promised it to you, it's yours. You just haven't lived in it yet, but it's coming. And sometimes you got to wait a while to go inhabit that place. But in the timing of the Lord, you'll devour that giant. And it's meant to increase you. It's meant to upgrade you. I like how Graham Cook talks about this. He says, when you start to understand this, this interplay that when the giant is before you and you know that you already have the victory, God intends for you to be upgraded to the size of that giant. Does that make sense to you? The way he puts it is this. You'll see the giant you'll be looking at him and the Lord will say to you, is he big enough for you? Do you want me to get another one a little bit larger? (laughs) Because we're not supposed to be afraid of the giants. They are real. Don't take on a giant you're not supposed to take on. But if it's standing over your promise, God has given you that place. We're not to be people who are led by fear. We're people who are to be led by the Spirit to go where He leads us. To take possession of the things that He has given us. To not let our hearts be discouraged to encourage one another in the Lord. We serve a great God. We serve an awesome Father. He loves us. Folks, He's been been talking to us as a people about His promises to us for a long time. and We've been living in some of those places, but I am so hungry for what He has for us in this new season. I want us to take that ground. I want us to live in that promise. We each have things that God's doing in us, but as a people, he's been stirring us. As a people, he's taking us into something more. I can't stress this enough. If you're not in this daily, you need to get into it. You spend time in this each day. Even if it's, Lord, this isn't really speaking to me a whole lot right now. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep reading. It is a discipline, and God needs to lay that into you. Because as we've seen today and other times we've been going, I'm starting to pop here. The Lord stitches a thread through history of his promises. And we can start to pull that thread and see where that tributary leads. It's not just any mountain. God was doing something across time that no man could plan. But God himself has a design and a destiny and a calling. And if we'll keep saying yes to him, we hop on track with what he's doing in that. Do you get that? We hop on track with his plan. And we can see ourselves as part of that drama and that storyline that he is playing out. So we can stand on that mountain and rejoice in our day that he's given us the inheritance that he promised us. Do we have any words?
During worship, we had a word come through, um, and this person said, During worship, I saw a heart that was torn into, in two pieces. Then I began to see one half of the heart turn into pages and pages of a story filled with pain, sorrow, and regret. The Lord's tears are on the, these pages along with the tears of the one who is hurting. He knows each page of your story, every word, and has plans to redeem it. Open your heart to him, because no one can touch your heart like Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time here in just a bit where if you would like someone to pray with you, if you respond to that word, we'll have our ministry team up here, and you can come receive prayer for that specifically. The words that we receive aren't only for one person, usually. Every once in a while, God really singles one person out. But if you see someone else going forward to prayer, don't say, well, I guess it was for them and not for me. God is so incredibly efficient. He can say one thing and hit five people. He can say one thing and hit 5,000 people. Okay? So if that is a word that resonates with you here today, I'm going to invite you forward at the end here for some prayer. We're not going to do communion today. Our communion cups have turned. So instead of giving you real wine by accident today, we're going to just forego that for now until we can get you some, some juice later on. All right. Next week, where are we going? Next week, we're talking about David taking Jerusalem. Okay, this becomes our, our launch-off point. He's been in Hebron. He's going to take Jerusalem. becomes the city of David. And one of the first things he does is he brings the Ark of the Covenant back in. We're going to talk about that time. It's important. We're going to be digging through the Word again. So spend some time in Second Samuel early on there, right around where we were. Um, and then also you could get into First Chronicles. You'll see another part of that story. Each of them has overlap, but each of them expands off in some different ways. And I encourage you to get familiar with the Word this week because we're going to dig through it together next week. Okay? Would you rise? We've all got giants in our lives. Some of us have slain some giants. Some of us have been scared off by giants. Some of us have slain giants and then got scared off by other ones. Some of us have been scared off and then slain other ones. The point is this. We all face them. We all stumble. We all fall down. And we all have the Lord there with us to pick us back up again. Take the sword. Let's go slay some giants. Okay? Father, we just thank you today for your goodness to us. We thank you today, Lord, that we can know more about the mountain that you promised. The mountain that was inhabited. Thank you for extra dimension, Lord. Thank you for the understanding of history there, Lord, of what you have accomplished there, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, to your people. And we thank you today that we are your people here in this hour, in this day. Lord, we thank you that we have a better covenant. Lord, we thank you that you are, are doing great things and you intend to do great things through us, your people. Lord, I pray over your people right now Lord, that the weak would be made strong. Lord, those that have been in fear would face that fear, Lord. Not by their strength, but by yours, Lord, because you don't want us trapped in that at all. You have destined us and you have called us to be victorious and to be overcomers in you. Lord, I pray that you would release just a spirit of giant slaying in this room, Lord Jesus, and in everyone who sees and hears this, Lord. Lord, that whatever... Uh, giants would be in their lives right now, Lord, they would see them as feeble in their own lives. They would see, see them, Lord, as food. Lord, that you would give them power to overcome and to devour that which the enemy would put in their way, Lord, to keep them from the promise that you have for them, Lord Jesus. Lord, that them step up, let them stand up, Lord Jesus, in might and in strength, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father. 
Where you have given us authority, Lord, I ask that you would bring power, Lord, as we come and do the work that you have called us to. I thank you, Jesus. I speak courage to these hearts in the name of Jesus, Lord, that there would be a spirit of Joshua and a spirit of Caleb that would come upon your people, Lord Jesus, where we would say, give me my mountain. Give me my mountain. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. If you'd like to do some time with the Lord, please come on up here up front to my right at the altar. You can spend time there. If you resonated with that word that we shared this morning, I invite you to come up here to my left. Prophetic team, we have a couple of ministers up here to pray with people. If it's your first time here, I would love to meet with you in our hospitality room out in the lobby by the front door. I'll be out there in just a couple minutes. God bless you 